Welcome to Journey with Purpose, the podcast about our daily expeditions in life. I'm your host, Randy Plummel. Today in episode six, we speak with freight expert Sandra Ruffard. Now, freight is one of those things that exists all around us, but it's a hidden system in plain sight. Freight is what happens when you order something online to be delivered next day. Freight happens when materials need to be delivered to the job site. Freight happens when you take your trash to the curb and it needs to be picked up. Freight happens when groceries need to be delivered to the grocery store and then it needs to be delivered to your home. Freight happens all around us and we don't pay in mind until something disrupts it and it has giant repercussions both for us personally and in the economy as a whole. It also affects how we go about our daily business, how we commute, how we walk, how we bike, and it intersects with real decisions about how we want to use the city. Welcome, Sandra. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're speaking to us today? My name is Sandra Rothbard. I'm an urban planner specializing in city logistics and freight, and I am speaking with you from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an independent consultant, and the world of freight, and more specifically last mile, City logistics is incredibly large. I I do everything for everyone. I work with public sector helping cities. I work with nonprofits working on stakeholder engagement. I work with the private sector when they ask questions about autonomous delivery and other new high-tech plans on everything from curb management to hazard mitigation and disaster preparedness, project management, working with public-private partnerships. It's funny because so many people, even in the planning field, and it's, it really crushes me, don't really understand what freight is. And when I introduce myself, folks would say, oh, you work in freight? How niche? And I would have to pause. And I say, no, this is actually one of the biggest parts of urban planning, if not the biggest part of transportation planning, but no one's talking about it. Everybody is facing the negative consequences, but nobody wants to work in this space. I think... When most people think of last mile freight, and we have a really big problem in our industry, we use the words, we say freight, we say logistics, we say supply chain, we say goods movement, it's all the same. It is moving of everything that isn't people. So that is your box from Amazon. It's the items going to the grocery store. It is the laundry coming out of the hotel to go get cleaned off site. It's your trash. It's your waste, it's good coming in and going out. It is the plumber using a commercial van to come and bring in the pipes and do whatever work they need to do. So it's anything that is moving that isn't moving people. And that's not just roads, that's multimodal. It is waterways, air, and even more so now folks are looking into drones, but it's rail, water, land, it's goods movement. Love for you to help me understand something that I see on the streets of New York constantly. I'll be on a main street, maybe it's an avenue, maybe it's just a big street, and there's a box truck double parked, and it's got its gate open, and behind it is another box truck, behind it but facing the other way, and there's just tons of people pulling out boxes, putting them on the sidewalk. Maybe they're Amazon employees, maybe they're not maybe this is like a micro distribution hub of some sort. I'd love to know what is happening here. So when you see a rider truck or a rental truck, 
parked on one of these avenues and you see folks getting out and they've got these big Amazon totes. Tote is the term we use for any sort of big container, whether it's plastic or otherwise. You're like, okay, but are they Amazon employees? Are they something else? Regardless, they are moving Amazon goods, but there are also Amazon trucks moving Amazon goods. And so what happens is we have trucks that are double parked all over the city. And some of those trucks often serve as their own micro hub and a distribution center. They park, they sit there for a long time, and it's not just Amazon. There's a lot of food uh, meal kit companies that do this. They'll either double park or they'll even park in front of a fire hydrant and they'll just sit there for hours and they'll have folks do what's called the last 50 feet or even the slipper distance, if you will, with hand trucks and just shuttle back and forth between the truck and the receiver, which is all of us that are actually getting the, the goods. Okay, so that all makes sense from what's happening on the street point of view. I'd love to know what you think is actually driving this, because it seems problematic that you have all these trucks either taking up curb space or they're double parked, thus blocking people on bikes, people on other cars, people in trucks trying to deliver other freight. It seems like we have a limited amount of streetscape to apportion out to a lot of different uses. I think that's what Donald Shoup's main point is the high cost of free parking is that it's not the highest and best value. It seems like this is not the way we would design an optimal freight delivery system, right? So what is driving this situation? Shoop and Shoopistas focus on the high cost of free parking. We have the high cost of free shipping, which is one of the biggest problems. And that leads to curb management issues, loading and unloading. So a lot of folks in the planning space, whether you are an urban planner or an advocate, we talk a lot about why should someone's personal vehicle get free space on the curb and how ridiculous that is, but we still spend so much time and attention in, in government focusing on that. Well, that is a private vehicle. We give almost no attention to curb space for commercial vehicles and trucks. In my mind, those are public vehicles. All of our things are in those trucks. If we lost everyone's personal vehicle, we'd be fine in a lot of places, right? We lost these trucks, that's it. And we learned during COVID how true that is. If we can't move, if we have to be inside for a certain period of time, we will survive. If our trucks aren't moving our goods, that's it. Society would completely collapse. And we need to start treating these vehicles as if they are public transportation. Curbs should be for the loading and unloading of people and goods and not for long-term parking regardless of what the vehicle type is. And so there are not enough loading and unloading zones in cities, or we put in one here and there and say, see, that's gonna fix it. And that's not how that works. What you'll see in many cities is, maybe they actually did put in a loading zone, fantastic. And then you see it empty and 20 feet in front of that, there's a truck double parked. What, what's going on here? Well, there's a couple of things that could happen. A, somebody may have been in that loading zone when that truck arrived, so they couldn't park there. Or B, it doesn't matter because that loading zone is not directly in front of where the delivery needs to be made. When truck drivers get their routes, which they don't have a lot of time in advance to, to know where they're supposed to go, they have a certain number of uh, hours of service that they are allowed to be in a truck. And they have to make a million deliveries in a short period of time. So they are going to go where they need to go to make up that time. So if it means double parking immediately in front of this apartment building, versus walking 20 feet, they're going to do it, even if it means they will get a fine. So the bigger players like a UPS can afford it. It's part of the cost of doing business. There's a program in New York called the Stipulated Fine Program where 
these companies actually work out this agreement with the city, which says, all right, so we're going to get $1,000 more than that per truck per month. Yeah. Okay. So that equals whatever. Well, let's cut a deal. Instead of you having to deal with all the administrative work, give us like a 30% cut or whatever it is for that year. And we'll just pay you one big check. A company like UPS can do that, but most fleets and not necessarily for packages, but just freight fleets are one to five trucks. They're small mom and pop shops. They can't afford these fines. So they really get screwed when there aren't enough places to load and unload. One of the biggest problems tied to that is the concept of same day and next day delivery. Well, you ordered same day. So I have to park as close to you as possible because if not, I'm the one in trouble, me being the truck driver. So if we could get rid of same day and next day delivery, oh my goodness, what a difference that would make. We'd be able to consolidate. You wouldn't have five trucks from the same company on the same block. People see that all the time. I'm wondering, why is this? It's because one of those trucks is coming from the airport distribution center. Another one's coming from ground. Another one's coming from express. Another one's coming from wherever. And because we have this expectation, Amazon has led us to this expectation of you order it, you get it right away. We expect that. And especially if you're paying for prime or any other subscription, it's pretty awful if you don't get that. Right? So if you didn't though, and if you could wait, God forbid, three days for those sneakers, then these companies have the opportunity to consolidate. Yes, it's more stops. Yes, it doesn't always seem as efficient, but if that can mean one truck on that block instead of five, wow, that would be huge. So as a consumer and as a resident, how should I begin to think about how my choices affect the sustainability of freight delivery in this very complex system. One of the big issues is folks say trucks are dirty and they're big and they're unsafe or what's better for the environment. Unfortunately, not enough people talk about safety when it comes to freight. There's too much focus on emissions and sustainability and resilience. So I, I just want to point that out. But when it comes to the sustainability side, well, it depends. Is this one truck replacing a trip that could be done by foot or by bike or by subway, or is it replacing a car trip? And is that truck an electric truck? And is your personal car an electric car? The, the matrix that has to be made of, is this trip better done if I do it myself versus a truck? That's why it's really important now for more and more companies don't have the default be, give this to me same day. Have the default be, I wanna make an eco-conscious decision. If you are already delivering to my neighborhood, put my package with that so we can consolidate it. Then it's better. But the thing folks don't think about is the packaging and the reverse logistics in that instance. Let's stick with e-commerce for this example. Let's say I order something from Target. I order a shirt. When that shirt is delivered to Target, if I'm going there in person, it's coming in a big pallet or a big box with maybe a little bit of cellophane or a little bit of packaging per item. If it's being shipped to me, now we've got a little more plastic or a little more cardboard or however else they've decided to package it to ship to me. And because it's a t-shirt, well, I'm not exactly sure what my size is, so I'm going to order it in two or more sizes. So now I've got twice or more as much packaging coming to me. And now I've decided, okay, I know which size fits me, so now i got to ship it back. And that's not only more packaging, that's another truck, or that's another car trip that has to go back. And folks don't think about that. And now that extra packaging that not only was not very sustainable to generate, now we have a, a garbage truck that needs to take that extra packaging. And so it's very complicated and it's not as easy to say this is better 
for the environment if you're in the suburbs, if you're ordering online versus in the city, because there's all these different factors that come into play. Generally speaking, you can say it is better to get off your butt, walk to the store. If you can't walk to the store, there's so many other factors at play. And that's what gets really stressful. And then as an urban planner, I also want to protect our street life. I don't want the brick and mortars to go out of business, right? We want these wonderful high streets and commercial corridors to be lively. And we don't want it to just be dark stores, stores where basically it's just a stock room and the store may not actually exist. There's dark stores and dark kitchens. And a lot of this is the 15 minute grocery companies that may take over some of these brick and mortar stores that have gone under. You're not physically going inside. The, the windows are sort of covered so you can't even see inside. And what is that doing for our communities? So it's really important when folks are shopping that they're considering all of these factors. But unfortunately, we haven't really made it very easy for folks. We don't design our cities with proper public transportation and not every place offers folks that opportunity. And if you're working multiple jobs, you've got multiple kids and you don't necessarily have the time to do anything but shop in, online. It's hard. You can't just say, well, you're doing the wrong thing. Stop doing this. Go walk to the store. Go help your local business. Ideally, I would love to say that. I would love to say to everyone, look at what you're doing. You're part of the problem. But we can't do that because that, that doesn't really help folks just yelling at them. And e-commerce has been wonderful for so many people. It has really helped people get what they need when they have babies at home or you were really uncomfortable being out in public. And that, that was so helpful for so many people in COVID who didn't have to interact. So there really is a, a wonderful side of it, but it does come at a cost. So like everything, there's a lot of countervailing forces and a lot of tension here. I'd love to know from you, how do we use the power of the state regulation, the power of resonant feedback to start composing a better system for all the stakeholders? I think from a high level, obviously so much of planning is misconception and also urban planning is counterintuitive. Almost everything in planning is counterintuitive. Oh, there's so much traffic. Let's add a lane. That'll solve the problem. No, that causes induced demand. And if you build it, they will come. We know this, but it doesn't matter to a politician who's getting screamed at by this constituent that gave money to the campaign that was very powerful or, or what have you. And I don't know many other fields where experts and their recommendations are so greatly ignored. We have engineers that can show you the data that says, no, don't build that extra lane of highway. Doesn't matter, it still happens. We have urban planners that can say the quality of life will be better. And we can show you the data that says people will ride their bikes if we replace this lane with a bike lane. No, I once experienced a cyclist who came too close to me, they're dangerous, no. It's the anecdotes that are treated as fact that are more heavily weighted as this will be the response. This is, this is the solution. Somebody once had this one experience, there we go. We will move forward and make sure that never happens. Instead of, oh, we see it in cities like Paris and London where all of a sudden everyone's on bikes. Oh, we should embrace this. Let's do that. Well, the problem is when we see things like that, everyone says, well, I'm not London, I'm not Paris. I don't want to compare myself to that. Well, you have plenty of smaller European cities who have amazing bike infrastructure. I lived in Amsterdam for the last three years, partly because 
of the the bike infrastructure and oh my god is it incredible that city is under a million people and they invested in the 70s the netherlands wasn't always about bikes in the 70s people said our children are being hit and killed by cars enough already and it was a huge huge activist mentality and people came together and said not anymore we're done we want our communities to be safer we want our kids to have freedom you know the mis misunderstanding in america is a car is freedom but those of us in the industry know that's that's not true a car is not freedom walkability is freedom being able to cycle in safe infrastructure is freedom taking public transit is freedom many folks focus on the affordability of public transport, which is important, but it could be free if it's not going where you need to and the headway is, is very big, then what's the point? So when people see a travel lane being taken away for something other than a car, to them, we've now impeded on their freedom. You are now gonna make my life more difficult because I think that what will happen is I will now be stuck in more traffic. You are now going to delay anything I'm supposed to do. And now my life is going to be worse. So it's this misconception that that's what will happen. There's a, a road near where I am that just got repaved and I'm not quite sure what's happening. The pavement markings are a little off. It's kind of weird. And it looks like they didn't do it properly, but they're planning for a bike lane, but it's not really clear. And so nobody is using that travel lane. It's not even a bike lane. It's not any sort of protected barrier. Everyone's just using this one single lane. There's no extra traffic. There are no problems. But when there's the threat are you taking away space from me? You're taking away space where I can park or you're taking away space where I can travel. People take that as a direct hit on them and they get very defensive. We originally designed these cities in Akron, Ohio or a Cleveland or a Cincinnati. We put in transportation, we put in streetcars, we put in all these other transit options. And then when the car came in, we ripped it all out or we covered it up or we just didn't use it at all because the car equals freedom but that's not the case. But we don't do very good advocacy or education in this country around that. So I'd love to know what sort of policy proposals or what sort of changes we could put in place at the municipal level to help orchestrate all this freight in a more holistic way. Cities need to have freight offices, period. In your transportation department or public works or whatever, the city has, you have to have people who are solely dedicated to working on freight because in my opinion is the most important part of transportation. If we don't have goods moving and you know, over 70% of America's goods are moving by truck, especially that last mile, you don't live in a, in a rail yard. You don't live at the airport. You don't live in a maritime port. You need trucks or hopefully more vans and cargo bikes to be able to survive. And we need people who work in that industry and hopefully are already educated so that they are already experts in that field. We also need to consider that freight is really important and shouldn't just be kicked to the curb, right? We're always the, we're the ugly stepchild in the corner. I'm always raising my hand saying, hold on, you guys forgot about how this is gonna impact the trucks in this area, always, time and time again. And the thought process for every city is, oh, we have some vacant land, highest and best use, it's gonna be condos. It's going to be housing or it's going to be this. We have a housing crisis. Absolutely. We need to put housing in many ways, wherever we can, but sometimes it's not always the solution and we can't keep pushing freight to the edge. 
we're not, I'm not talking about heavy industrial space, right? But we need to consider that if you want to get more of these trucks off the road or have more come overnight, then put them where the consumer is. Now in New York city, Red Hook is totally overwhelmed. We have more and more of these facilities being built and that's not okay. We need to do fair share. Daniel Garodnik, former city councilman and, and head of city planning is talking about, okay, maybe we actually can convert old office buildings to housing. Yes, absolutely. But not every building is ideal for that, right? And we know that because it's taken so long because we haven't done it yet. Why not convert some of those to logistics properties? We can have vertical warehousing. It doesn't all have to be high tech. UPS has a distribution center in the West 40s that technically is multi-story. We have tr trucks that are driving inside, going up a, a spiral driveway, nothing high tech. They got a big conveyor belt and a bunch of other conveyor belts. There is no reason why we can't do more vertical logistics space, especially in spaces that are vacant, all these office buildings. So we should look not just for housing, but you know, maybe there's no reason they can't be co-located either. Housing has a lot of very specific requirements, which is why it hasn't been done so far. Every home needs to have the right plumbing, needs to have the right electrical. Logistics, not exactly as complicated. So maybe that can go in the core. That can go where there's already freight elevators or what have you, put housing on the edge. Again, you can co-locate this if it's, you know, maybe it's just some boxes, maybe it's laundry facilities, maybe it's something else or regular warehousing. One of the things that I've been fighting for for the last 10 years was, why can't we make Moynihan Station a distribution center in addition to uh, passenger rail? It is a former post office, well, part of it's still a post office, but it is a post office that has 11 loading bays or 12 loading bays. I've also been fighting for making the gateway tunnel project designed to also handle freight. You can have through freights that then continue on to Long Island and, and parts north and east. So it does seem that converting Moynihan Station to a distribution center and also adding freight capacity to the gateway tunnel which is already under construction right now, could add us both more capacity, but also more efficiency in delivering freight, right? That kind of gets to our earlier conversation around sustainability and the complexities of figuring out how sustainable delivery is. So I'd love to circle back around and help us define what efficiency means in the system. So what's more efficient is one big tractor trailer versus a bunch of smaller ones, right? We know this, but it's not as safe, both for the, the truck and everybody else on the road. Okay, but can we bring in fewer, bigger vehicles, maybe overnight, bring those into distribution centers, and then do that last mile by a smaller van, electric van, and cargo bikes? Some of these bikes, you can actually get almost like eight miles or even a, a far distance, but it's so much better if you have a, a, a network of distribution centers, large or micro, and then you can shuttle that last bit and DOT put on RFI, RFEI for a micro distribution hub for this summer. They just expanded the law on terms of uh, how wide a cargo bike can be, and it can actually have four wheels. And we're starting to see this more. It can be done, but nobody or very few of us think about this and because it isn't taken seriously. We always say freight doesn't vote. It's a really, really big problem, and it's hidden in plain sight. People see trucks all the time on the road, but they don't recognize that that's their stuff in the back until it is a real inconvenience. How many people are on their bike 
hate the fact that there's a, a carrier parked in the bike lane, then go home and order something online to be delivered same day. The disconnect is unreal. And again, I don't want to just shame people about their shopping habits, but just generally speaking, we need to cut back on some of that consumerism and we need to recognize that we need consolidation. So don't order everything right away. And can we utilize space in a more creative way to support logistics so that environmental justice communities don't get the unfair burden of dealing with everybody else's stuff, which is what's always happened for years with waste and now also with warehousing. If I could have a magic wand, it would be more money and attention to freight, like having freight offices with a lot of people, not just a handful of folks, and making sure that the rules and regulations are actually taken into account and that we are supporting that. And you can't just have the office. you got to actually do work. People obviously look to New York. What are they doing? That's really exciting. But so many other cities in America say, I'm too different. So it's like, why should I be looking to New York? Well, there are other ways to do this. This is an opportunity for consolidation and it allows you to do the cargo bikes and maybe a smaller van. Obviously, the more dense the area, the better. You can mix all of these programs. You can have an off-hour delivery. When a pharmacy is getting a big load, and you'll see this at Dwayne Reed in New York, you get the big truck, it sits there for several hours, they unload, same with the grocery store. But often it's double parked because we didn't put a loading zone there. In other countries, they have a large loading zone next to these types of facilities. The same way you might have a taxi parking outside a hotel, there's no reason why we shouldn't have major loading spaces next to some of these bigger freight facilities, if you will. So I think there is so much opportunity and there's so many options for creativity, but because freight's not sexy, it's not shiny, it's not cool. I got into it because in graduate school, I went to graduate school to do affordable housing. That's how I was going to fix the world. It was so obvious. People need housing. We don't want people to be spending astronomical part of their paycheck on this. This is how we're going to help. But all the real estate classes and, and housing classes I took, I just wasn't really feeling it until I had a class, our uh, history and theory of planning. Our professor gave us a list of topics, said, pick one, write a paper on it. And so everyone, this is before we had a uh, city bike in New York. So everyone's jumping to bike share or BRT or affordable housing, all these things that were really sexy and exciting. And I chose the 2006 solid waste management plan modification. Not sexy, not whatever. But to me, I was like, that's everything. That's environmental justice. It's sustainability. It is housing. It is transportation. It's, it's everything. And I absolutely fell in love with it. But the problem is now we do see a lot of high-tech influences, a little more than is probably necessary. Sometimes high-tech is absolutely the right solution, but a lot of times it isn't. So the only time that freight is shiny and sexy is when somebody invents a drone. Oh, we're going to do deliveries by drone. Or somebody invents a, a delivery robot or these high-tech apps. Sometimes that can be helpful, depending on the technology, and sometimes it isn't. But a lot of times the technology is being developed by people who don't know anything about freight. Again, we don't have enough experts in the industry. I'm one of the only people that does independent urban planning consulting. Either you work for a city agency or you work for a big consulting firm that might be helping cities throughout the world. But one of the big problems is somebody thinks, oh, I've ordered stuff before. I'm an expert. I can create this app or, or this robot or that. I'll solve the problem. And because cities don't have experts, the people in cities say, oh, well, such and such big name tech company or this startup has something. They say it's a solution and I don't know any better as a city, so I'm going to hire them or I'm going to buy that tool. 
And then they're horribly disappointed when that tool doesn't work. And that's because people on both sides don't have any expertise in freight. They don't consult with the industry. They don't do their homework, but it's shiny and sexy. And that's what sells these days. And that's what ends up happening. So we really need to push back on that, get more folks that are experts in the field, really do more education, even internally in the planning and engineering fields to really, really make the difference that we need. My name is Sandra Rothbard. I am an urban planner and I specialize in city freight. And I'm speaking with you from Atlanta, Georgia. I want to thank Sandra for her time and her words about how freight matters, which also just happens to be her consultancy. You can check it out online at the show notes. This has been another episode of Journey with Purpose with your host, Randy Plummel. We are a fiercely independent podcaster and publisher. And because we're fiercely independent, all ideas and content are our views only and not of our employers or possible employers or future employers. Please go online to jwp.news to download more episodes and to purchase our pamphlet. Purchasing the pamphlets help get them out of my house and into your home and share the good news of everybody's expeditions. If you're not ready to purchase a pamphlet, we ask you to heart, thumbs up, like, share, mash whichever button is socially acceptable so that other people can listen to this podcast. We'll see you next time on the internets. Be well.